0: When a conflict occurs now in the modern age, we don't feel like that relationship has to be maintained because people are replaceable. So what's the strength of the internet age? We can have more relationships than ever with more people. What's the weakness? We can have more relationships than ever with people. And so we don't value the existing relationships we have.
1: What's happening everybody. Welcome to the recovering hypocrite podcast. I am, as always, your host and the chief recovering hypocrite around these parts, Noel Jesse Hakenen. And about a month or so ago, I was studying through Galatians and specifically Galatians five as I was putting together a, an upcoming sermon series that we're going to be doing on the fruit of the spirit at our, our church. And, and I was reading that section in Galatians five where it says that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And then Paul kind of follows up that summary of the law with a warning. He says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. And I know this is probably bad biblical exegesis, but the word consume kind of hit me in a different way as I was studying that because I was thinking about how in the social media spaces of our day, can become all-consuming for us. And there's so much biting and so much devouring that even this whole idea of consuming one another, it kind of not only consumes one another, but it consumes our time. And I kind of went down the rabbit trail looking at the Greek of that word and even seeing that that word just means to be used up. It means to be chipped away at. It means to be just kind of chewed on until something is gone. And I just think that there's something about that that the the flip side of loving one another is consuming one another, chipping away. And I think it chips away at our souls as well. And then right after that, Paul dives into this. He says, well, the works of the flesh are obvious. And here's a couple of the words he uses, strife, outbursts of anger, dissensions, factions, It just seems like this describes the social media tone of our day. And it should, for those of us who are followers of Christ, be obvious that these things are works of the flesh and not fruit of the spirit, that this dissension and strife and outburst and all that that we see online. And so this was noodling around in my head when I stumbled onto a tweet from a guy that I follow online, who he follows me, I follow him, and I didn't even realize that this guy had written his doctorate on social media and written a book on social media, specifically about tone. And that's why I'm so thrilled today to have Douglas burst with us. Doug that is, do you go by Doug or Doug? Yeah. I go by
0: Doug. Yeah. Unless someone is yelling at me, like my mom, it's Doug, Doug.
1: So Douglas is just the formal online persona.
0: Well, it makes me seem more authoritative in the books that I write. Douglas <laughs> S. Bursch is better than Doug. So what
1: about Dougie Fresh Bursch? No, <laughs> no, no, no.
0: Yeah. no. You're seeing why I use Douglas, because Doug in our culture, <laughs> usually if there's a Doug in a TV show or a movie, he's just some kind of like, hey, I'm Doug. He's kind of a yokel, okay, big, kind but of can, happy can, dad. Can,
1: can we admit, though, that the, the star of the NCAA tournament was a dude named Doug this year? There if you, you watched go. Basketball. Yeah, so, yeah, like, that's good. So there you go. So so what we like to do on the podcast here is start with three publicly available pieces of biographical information, and then to ask you to throw in three that people may not know. So here are the three that I've got for you. The first is that you are a pastor at Evergreen Foursquare Church in the state of Washington. The second is that you are a former radio host. So how long did you do that? I
0: did for five years, the daily drive time talk show from four to 6 p.m. in Seattle. And so I did probably 1,200 shows. And I I supposedly had a producer, but I really didn't. It was part time. So <laughs> I, I mean, he worked along with me. We had fun, but he was just as busy as I was. So I produced most of those shows.
1: That's wild. So the first three or four years that I was in full time ministry, I also worked at a radio station at the same time. So, same kind of thing. So, that's wild. And number three, and I mentioned this earlier, but I do want to point it out, is that you are an author of a book that is coming up on its one year anniversary called Posting Peace that deals with this idea of tone and social media, which I don't want to get into yet. But if you are at all interested in that i encourage you to check out the book and the link will be in the description so that's three publicly available pieces of information what do you got for us on three things that people may not know about you
0: well i got a little nervous when you talked about these three things because i'm like what is he going to unearth you know crimes (laughs) but
1: no it's like a true crimes podcast yeah
0: also the hypocrisy part of this this is the recovering hypocrite I don't know if I'm recovering yet. I, I just might be a hypocrite. So I was nervous <laughs> well, that this is an intervention as well. Maybe that's something you need to know about me.
1: Well, someone did tell me once that when they were on the show, Karen Swallow Pilar, Prior reached out to me and oh, said, Oh, yeah, hey, I love her. You're, she said, Your graphic has the word hypocrite right across my head.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. I noticed that as well. And I'm like, wait a second. If,
1: yeah so if, I, if, I think I made something it, bad too.
0: happens in my life this is what's gonna they're gonna have that picture with hypocrite over his head well, so I you yeah know, that's yeah. something you want to know about me I'm not recovering I I can preach it but I can't live it no I try to but one of the things even with doing a book on, I'm not going to talk about it yet but a book on social media here's one thing I sometimes I regret it because now I have to live it like you you write all this and you're you can't forget it you're like I can't be a jerk online because I got a whole <laughs> book about not being a jerk online. But here's. One people might not know, but I know they wouldn't know. I once sat in a theater with Kathy Lee Gifford, where there was no one else in the theater but a writer and director of a Broadway bound musical sat next to her and gave her notes on how the musical could be better. That's something that happened. What? And, and yes, I don't even, you know, she came on my radio show and then she was producing a musical that was premiering in the Seattle area and she liked me and it was about some religious issues in my denomination. And so she invited me and I'm sitting here next to Kathleen Gifford. And it's as weird as it sounds. I'm just like, what, how am I, you know, she, by the way, a huge amount of charisma in person, like just glowing. I mean, I wasn't necessarily a big fan or I just, you know, she exists sure. in the world, but, yeah. but holy cow, I'm just sitting there and she's leaning over and saying, what do you think about this? And I'm like, I should not be here at, at any level. I don't know why. <laughs> By the way, it didn't do really well on Broadway, so I, maybe I shouldn't have been there, but anyway, that's something about me that you didn't know. I don't know about three things. I get panic attacks. Here's one, probably oh. two times a year. If I got them more than two times a year, I'd probably go on medicine for it, but I endure those. Mm. I have highs and lows. I get depressed on Mondays. Uh, I think some people know that if they follow I th- my Twitter.
1: I, th- I, th- I think that's called being a pastor, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, I had to realize that my, my sister is also our worship leader. Said some of the stuff that you're spiritualizing, Doug. It might just be the fact that you struggle with depression, and wow. that started a journey to help me realize it's okay. God hasn't left me or forsaken me, and the world isn't just you know. Well, the world can be terrible, but regardless of how terrible the world is, I'm seeing it through my depression, and I don't have clinical depression, but I do have where you know it's one of those. Again, I talk to the people around me and say, "How am I doing? Am I functioning well in this world? Do, do I need to see someone now and take something?" So I'm I very much encourage people. That our brains can be impacted like the rest of our bodies so depression is a part of of ministry if you use a lot of your serotonin and dopamine on mondays sometimes you're just going to be you're going to be low and there's nothing you can do about it
1: well it's interesting because your your third thing here actually leads into the topic in a very strange way just literally this morning my watch alerted me that i had an abnormally high heart rate and it does Mm. that occasionally and i was sitting at my desk reading comments on a recent Facebook post of mine. And I can link quite often a high heart rate to work related things like that. But for me, it was just reading some very negative, very polarizing comments on a post on Facebook that really should have been a unifying one.
0: Hmm.
1: Hmm. And right there having a physical bodily response to social media. That was wild. So there, it connects right to your third thing. Well,
0: and, you, you know, this is often the first question people say, right, why, why you write a book called, you know, Posting Peace. And but by the way, the whole title, because everyone wants to buy it, is Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. The titles are getting longer and longer. But in that context, I think we all know it's getting divisive. We we're all feel like it's getting more divisive, and particularly... We're tweeting or posting something that doesn't seem that controversial. And next thing you know, people are calling you a baby killer and you just wrote about tacos or something like how how did something move from something so seemingly you know, non-controversial to controversial? And for me, this is more than an issue of tone, it's intentionality in the sense of we have to know why we exist as Christians in the world and we have to know why social media actually influences our messaging. And this is what we don't take seriously enough. We'll say, well, the gospel is the gospel and truth is truth. Well, yes, but every medium changes our messaging mediums, you know, the printing press, radio, television, they change how we communicate and what we communicate. And just a very simple level. Have you ever tried to tweet a scripture? If you used Twitter? Most scripture doesn't fit within even Twitter because of the character limits. So that influences the scriptures that we tweet. You might say, well, that's not a big deal. Well, that influences what gets out there and what doesn't get out there. Books, you know, who can write books and have them published a certain personality type. So now if we're being led just through books, only certain messages will come through because only certain people can Mm -hmm. write books. Other people don't. So yeah, that's good. The book is really about the idea of we need to take seriously how this medium is dividing us and, and creating this devouring spirit. And then as Christians, the intentionality of what do I want to be in the world? And am I a reconciler online as much as I am in person? And I want people to look at that in their life, not to feel judged or condemned, but to not find themselves in a place where they're behaving online in a way that's contrary to what they truly believe about themselves and about the kingdom of God.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned the medium changing the message on social media. I wonder if each social media platform has in itself its own personality as well, because I've noticed I have very very wildly different conversations on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with people that they, even, even within social media, there's definitely different mediums. Well, and by the
0: way, the, the term, the medium is the message is something Marshall McLuhan said in the 1970s. And I love this and this helps pastors for any form, any medium you use There's strengths and there's weaknesses to it. And one of the things that you talk about the different social media things we're seeing generationally, like younger generations tend to go to Insta or other environments that are less prone to maybe some of like the Facebook long arguing. Here's a difference though, between let's say Facebook and Twitter, and this might help people understand why they like one versus the other most of us joined into our facebook relationships through other relationships in the sense of i followed someone because it's she's my aunt or my uncle or we met in some other relational context we both go to church together and then and on twitter we often connect with people based on light ideas we both have the same ideas about sports we both have the same theological concepts so on twitter people often unite more on ideas on Facebook, they unite through relationships. Well, here's the problem: you friended your aunt on Facebook, but now you find out your aunt is an extreme right-wing QAnon person who who you know posts about that all the time, and that's not who you are. So there's a stress here that your friends are. Posting their political things and they're arguing with you in ways that they never would have argued with you at church because you just connected on church or at soccer where you just connected on soccer. But now you're stuck because do you block your grandma? Do you block your aunt? Do you do, now it, it it endangers your other relational ties as pastors? You know you see people from the congregation act a different way online, and now if I do something online, it has this negative impact in person. So. These are some of the tensions that even the different mediums, how we united together influences how we behave on those or how anxious we get. Like now I'm hearing, I'm being blocked by my uncle where before it was, I saw him once a year and we talked a little bit about the game that was on the TV and ate our Thanksgiving meals. So that's how also these mediums and the different mediums are influencing our relationships because people are leading sometimes more with doctrine and dogma than they are with trying to maintain and strengthen the relational bonds.
1: That's interesting because it, it does seem like Facebook is the place where, like you said, it's long form argument, whether you want it to be or not. Yeah. And Twitter is sort of an echo chamber of ideology. In fact, a number of years ago, about two years ago, I went through an exercise where I unfollowed 100 or 150 people that I agree with. And I intentionally went and found a hundred or 150 people I disagreed with and just added them hmm. just to see if it would change the algorithm. And it was fascinating because it was like walking through a, a, a room of people yelling about the same thing into walking into another room of people yelling about a different thing. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Well, and this is the strength and weakness of social media is the segmenting. At one level, we can find like-minded people with like interest. That's a good thing in some cases, you know, someone who's been abused by the church or pastors, they can find other people who've experienced that, find camaraderie, unity, understanding, but also the segmenting. One, we all have seen those shows that we know they're actually segmenting us. People who bought this book will also like this book and people who follow this person will follow that person. And so the technology is segmenting us. And then we might be doing that as well, because we want to get around a bunch of people who agree with us but then we get a very skewed view of the world. And then also we only unite with people now based on agreement and not based on building community. So even in these segmented communities, there's still fights and there's still fractures. So we get in a segmented community, we all think we agree one way, conflict occurs, we block, we mute, we move on. So to me, if you're not intentional, In actually creating a diversity of following people who are different than you at every level, different ethnicity, you know, race, economic, political, religious, you're going to find yourself in an echo chamber, but even in that echo chamber, people are still fighting because they're uniting, not based on relationship as much as shared ideology. And that's a problem. If we only unite with people based on shared ideology, we won't learn how to go through conflicts if we only do that.
1: Well, yeah, Oz Guinness in his book, Fool's, Fool's Talk, he, he says we've lost the art of disagreeing agreeably, mm. which I really like. And But I wonder if what you were saying there about kind of the segmentation of social media, I wonder if there is a linkage between that and the vitriol. So mm. if your echo chamber is telling you most people think A... In fact, it's the most, it's not only the most logical, but it's the most widely held position is position A. And then somebody comes online and says B. I wonder if that causes you to have a little bit more what you feel to be righteous indignation Mm -hmm. to to defend A and to speak against B or to, you know what I mean? I wonder if the, the level of vitriol is higher because of the segmentation.
0: Well, there's a, a lot to this, but one of the things that does happen with segmentation, it allows us to find people that will defend our ideology, even if it's incredibly extremist and wrong and just crazy. So the the idea where people can find, you know, racists can find race and then they can have a group and then you live within that group and you think, oh, this is okay. This is normal. This is fine. This is something I should believe. And the church can do that, right? We hang out with all our churchy people. And we live in this little bubble and we think that's existence. So. I think there is that aspect that one we're living within these bubbles and we can find a thousand people to justify our opinions. And then when someone is against our opinion, we don't need them because we already have our own community. And this is the big issue that I focus in on the book. Why do we not go through conflict in, in our modern culture? And I think it's not because we're just jerks. I think it's because the culture has shifted in how we make relationships. Think about before the car, like before people had a car, there were still social networks. But how limited was someone's social network before the car? It was basically who you could go to in walking distance. It was your neighbors. It was within your city. You know, Maybe you hook up the horse and, and the buggy, but you don't go that far. <laughs> so think about a conflict during that time. You have a conflict with your neighbor. Well, if you don't get along with your neighbor and find a way to go through that conflict, that's just one less person to interact with. And you can't wow. replace them with someone else, right? Yeah. So it's the same with churches. Why did people abide in churches longer and go through conflicts? Because they had to. There were two or three churches in town. And so you had to figure out how to get along. Now that wasn't all good, right? You could have a neighbor who was incredibly controlling and controls the neighborhood. You could have a pastor who has power. That's why pastors have less power because we can't control things. So the reality is now we live in a culture where I don't have to know my neighbors because I can meet thousands and millions of people online. If I, if I struggle with my church, I can just go online and find a church and I can find a church to, on Sundays, on Mondays, I can just pick and choose. Here's the problem. When a conflict occurs now in the modern age, we don't feel like that relationship has to be maintained because people are replaceable. So what's mm. the strength of the internet age? We can have more relationships than ever with more people. What's the weakness? We can have more relationships than ever with people. And so we don't value the existing relationships we have. So that's a big issue that we talk
1: about. Gosh, wow. That's, that is really insightful. It almost makes me ask the question whether it's worth it. I mean, obviously there's strengths and weaknesses to everything. I'm all about choosing my problems, right? I I choose the problem I can live with, but it makes me wonder if it's even worth entering into the space that is social media, or, you know, there's that book that came out a couple of years ago called the Benedictine option. Should we just (laughs) like St. Benedict, should we just retreat into our enclaves and stay out of the social media space? I mean, is it even worth it to engage?
0: Well, here's one thing. Everybody has their own mental health. I would never tell anyone they have to do it my way. Like you mentioned with your heart rate, you know, we only have so much energy and so many people entrusted to our care. For me, I think humans are going to be existing online until, you know, Christ returns or this thing all ends. So if we're going to exist online, I want to find a way to be the most redemptive online. And then also to realize that this online world is influencing our in-person communication. So even someone listening is like, well, I'm not in social media, so this doesn't interest me. It's going to influence you. And so you need to know how people are abiding online because that will filter in to these in-person communication. And you'll be wondering, well, why is this happening? Well, it's happening because we are being formed by the technology we use. I personally believe some of the best, most important issues are being discussed online. And as a Christian, I want to be there. I want to be involved in social media so that I can have a witness that's not just different in content, but different in tone. That people Mm. go, Well, Christians don't handle these conflicts the same way everyone else does. Right now I don't see that online, but I think we should see that. And that's part of my advocacy is we can show how we are radically different, not just in our content, but in the way we abide with people as we walk through a conflict.
1: Well, that's Galatians five. That's the fruit of the spirit. Yeah. You know, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then you know, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It's tone, yeah. by the I way, with the, that, I'm sorry, with,
0: you ahead. had no, like go. the works of the flesh. Do you have the list of the works of the flesh? Cause sometimes yeah, pastors we take out, doesn't he also have like orgies in there? Yeah. He's oh two.
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, actually it's really funny as I'm studying this, the CSB, which is my new translation actually took yeah. out the word orgies. And replaced it with carousing. So I don't know
0: what that is? It's yeah, the carouser. worst of. Uh, does actually, it have witchcraft in there? Is witchcraft? It does the other have one? witchcraft. Okay, yeah, so
1: well, it is sorcery instead yeah, it's of witchcraft. In okay. yeah.
0: Well, and so this is the whole point. I think Paul does that intentionally because he puts things that seem very like not a big deal: dissensions, divisions, and then he puts sorcery and orgies in there. And I think he's showing you because someone wants to say, "Well, I don't involve in orgies, and I don't do witchcraft or sorcery." But he's saying these are just as bad, like whatever you think is the worst sin. Well, not only that, they they should be
1: just as obvious because the works of the flesh are evident or the works of the flesh are obvious. He's like, yo, you should be able to see that this is not walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And that's
0: the whole point. And I talk about this a little bit in the book is Christians have adopted a partisan mindset. Now, everybody has political opinions. I I think what informs citizens to have a political opinion when they vote. But a partisan mindset is this kind of mindset. I want my side to win, your side to lose. I want us to be victors, you to go home sad. It's my America, not your America. That's not how Christians are to communicate in a partisan mindset. We communicate for the purpose of bringing people into the light. And if, the, if we believe someone has the wrong political opinion, we love them and we share that opinion because we want them to be a part of our life and for them to be closer to God and us to be closer together. That is not the partisan mindset. The partisan mindset is devouring, divisive, will destroy you at any cost. And if Christians don't see that, how the works of the flesh look a lot like a partisan mindset then we're going to just adopt those practices because it's true, you know, and it's not about just something being true in ideology, it's about being true in the spirit in which we communicate it, which you've pointed out so well here, the fruit of the spirit, the love of God, reconciliation, because that's the other part of this book. We are entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation, which means I communicate so that people draw closer to God and that we draw closer to each other, removing every dividing wall
1: of hostility. Well, I mean, even the works of the flesh says dissensions and factions, and dissensions is divisions. Factions are forming your tribe around your division in order yeah. to fight against the other. And so that is clearly in Paul's mind as an evident obvious work of the flesh that needs to be repented of that we, yeah. we see that in our lives we're like man we're not walking in the step of the spirit it's that's really Christian. good you
0: and i should both be pastors that's we got that thing down <laughs> we're going to preach that sorry i, I mean, am
1: i i am going to preach that it literally Two weeks after Easter, that's the passage I'm yeah. working out of my head. So I'm not normally this good. It just I happen to be studying this. But you know, it's interesting because Isaac Freire, who I don't know if you know him, he is a pastor in Fort Lauderdale, who also is pretty TikTok famous as a a preacher, and he has a lot of great stuff he does on TikTok. But he did a workshop session at a, a conference I was at. And he described social media, not as a tool, but as a place, a space to inhabit for the sake of the gospel. And he talked about the fact that, you know, in Acts 1.8, it says, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit is come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Mm. And that at that time, people would have thought the ends of the earth is the end of the Roman empire, right? Maybe Northern Africa. And then over time, we've realized the ends of the earth is bigger than that. And yeah. he says, we need to, we must think of social media spaces as part of the ends of the earth, yeah. that this is a place to inhabit a public square to preach the gospel in, to represent Jesus in. And that was a game changer in my mind, because honestly, I am tempted on the daily this morning. I was tempted to be done with Facebook because I just don't want to be in that public square having that conversation. Yeah, yeah. But it's a place where the gospel needs to go.
0: Well, and I think depending again on people's mental health and their calling, where they give that energy might differ. I post a bit on Facebook, but I don't do a lot of engagement and arguments on Facebook. Twitter, I feel like Twitter's safer for me. You get strangers who call you terrible things, but you don't have some awkward relational thing with a family member or a church member. I I like to have those things in person. So, you know, I make these boundaries, but I, I would say I like to view social media this way. It is a place but ultimately it's a relationship or relationships. And once you begin to view social media as the forming of relationships, then it changes why we're on there. Rainey and Wellman, two Pew research scholars, talked about the strength of the internet is networked individualism. And networked individualism means uh, whatever my individualistic need is, I can find a network to meet that need. And they talk about this being a strength. If they ever read my book, they're probably gonna be upset with me because I don't think it's a strength. (laughs) Now it is a strength, that i can you know boy i'm i want to find other people like star trek and so i can search that in i can find people who meet that need but the problem with networked individualism is we start interacting with people as much as they meet our personal needs so it's just as much as you meet my theological need my political need and so now we're using people and it's not forming a relationship It's basically a commodifying of a transaction. I look for someone, I have a need, I go to the store, I find it. But now people are like that. So I I need a new shampoo, you know, so I go get the one that's right for me. If I don't like that, I replace it with something else. People become like that. I need someone to help me with my frustration about the church. And all this guy helps, he agrees with me. And then one day he does it and says, well, I'm not going to use that anymore. So we put that person to the side and we find someone else who does that. That's dangerous in my opinion. For me, I want to form relationships. And so I would even see it this way. I pastor Evergreen Church. People will often ask me, how's Evergreen doing? Evergreen has an identity that's bigger than me. It's not just Doug. It shouldn't be as a pastor, right? Well, people don't say, how's Twitter doing today? Or how's Facebook doing today? So we're not even using this technology to build communities. Primarily it's for self-expression. That's why we can leave it for three months or something. Take a break from Lent. Like I wouldn't do that for you. I'm not gonna talk to my parents for Lent. You know, I'm not gonna talk to my friends for Lent, but we don't see it relationally. So to me, although it's not all relational, every time I meet with someone, the goal is to communicate in a relational way that they are drawn closer to God and that any dividing wall of hostility is removed from us, like they're in the room with me at least, or they're my neighbor, or there's someone who came into the church and I want them to feel welcome when you, someone comes into the church, you don't argue politics with them the first Sunday, you welcome them in the name of Jesus. So that's the part that helps me be strategic. If I'm sharing my politics, my opinions, the strongly held issues. I'm still trying to form a relationship, even if it's just one event, that I want this person to know that I see them as a human, humanize the platform, and I care about the differences. And I'm not here to win an argument, but to be engaged in a ministry that helps them feel closer to God and us closer together. So it's not only a different place, but it also has to be relationship because once it's not relationship, all these dehumanizing realities occur where people are just replaceable and it's about uniting with people around dogma and doctrine. And by the way, churches that are like that are scary. Churches should have some form of healthy diversity of people in different stages of existence. Some things are central, some things are secondary, but what's happening online? Everything is central if it's exactly what I believe. And so I'm literally, you have to have my politics, my everything uh, versus healthy communities, a little diverse, healthy marriages are like that. Your wife sees a little different than you see it. That's a sign of a strength of the marriage, not a weakness of a community.
1: You know, just last week I was sitting in a friend's kitchen and there were about six or seven of us kind of sitting around the Island. And two of the people got into a relatively heated debate around politics. They were arguing over who was a worst president, uh, Trump or Biden, and they had widely different views. And these are two people who love one another. And are in relationship with one another. And they had the ability to disagree, but to do it in the context of relationship and to know when they walk out of the room, that relationship that they have is not over. And I think that that's part of what you're describing and that is missing in these social media spaces, is almost that long suffering with one another to just kind of to stick with relationships, even as they go over bumps because people are more important than politics and platform. Yeah, and you
0: can see probably in that, they were still also saying, I wanna make sure I communicate in a way that maintains this relationship. Right. And that alone yeah. changes how you communicate and how you present the other person's arguments. I think we're going to see more heated in-person communication, and I'm not trying to judge these friends, but in the rest of our week, we're spending our time in these isolated segmented groups. You know, you know, if it's, let's say extreme, oh, I love Trump and I hang around with people who love Trump and I see this as people are against us, and we're about the truth and others are. If you're in that place, now you come out of those spheres with people who are not in that place and it's going to be more of a contrast. I think you were even hitting at that earlier. It's going to suddenly, you know, trigger more things in that person. And so for us, it's very important that online, We are not just swimming in the same pool. I've often said this, that I think some people are allowing Tucker Carlson to uh, pastor them more than they are their pastor in the sense that every night they listen to him. And you can put Rachel Maddow, I guess that's the, the liberal side, but the fact that for five days or six days a week, you're listening to that person and, and rallying around them. And then you also have social media posts and Facebook posts validating that. And then I get you maybe one or two Sundays a month. And if you think that's going to influence your spiritual vitality, who's going to lead you? And whether we like this or not, I think we are being led by these networks of influence. And these networks of influence are more polarizing than ever. And we have to be intentional on that. Online, does that represent a holistic view of myself? Or even 10 years ago, was this who I was? Or am I now been so mobilized? We've found people like that. they are. They're now just all politics. They're now just all what, whatever. And you go, what happened to you? Look, well, I think what happened to them is they're feeding daily in these pools that are very narrow in ideology. And actually I would say not very Christ-like in the way they communicate that ideology. And now it's impacting them in their in-person communication.
1: So if someone is listening right now and they're just thinking, man, this is convicting and I want to enter my social media spaces with more grace, with a relationship oriented perspective, it kind of feels like a sanctification where it's not something you can just check a bunch of boxes and then all of a sudden you're doing it right. But are there practical things that people can do or think about that can help them begin to transform the space? Because, you know, if we can't Transform the space. Then, what business do we have being there? Like, well, what what practical stuff can we do?
0: Here's yeah. the deal: you just set the ball up on the tee for me to say. Well, I wrote a book about it. Uh, don't worry, as I promote my book, I'm not making any money on that. I'm not a successful author, so you won't be successful by a, buy a copy. But a posting piece why social media divides us and what we can do about it. and I, I have to say it three times in an interview, where it ceases to exist. But all this to be said. I don't like telling people what to do. Like, I don't like being an intermediary saying, you know, you need to have this much social media time. And I I know sometimes people think they want that, but you don't want an intermediary. You don't want to be doing anything because Doug told you to do it, or an expert told you to do it. You want it to be true of your life and what you believe God has led you to do. So in the book, in every chapter at the end, I have questions for people to just process why am I doing what I'm doing? And then in light of that, how do I live based on what I've learned? And and the practical one that anybody could do here right now is just go home. Are you? I guess you're already at home, but look through your social media, look through posts of the last two weeks, maybe two months, depends on how deep you want this to go. And just categorize what you're communicating. Just read it. Like if a stranger were reading your post uh, and then put a category, like how much is political? How much is relational? And then just kind of see, does this reflect me? Is this who I am? Is this what I would want people to know about me at my funeral? You know, is this what I would want them to read in front of a large group of people? Or am I no longer being reflected on social media? That's an important thing to look at. Like it's skewing me. They would just see me as an angry, argumentative, divisive person if they only knew me through Facebook. Or they. So that's a simple way to do that. I ask people to develop basically a posting plan or a peacemaking plan. For me, part of my peacemaking plan is this, that I try to talk about anyone as if they're in the room with me. So even celebrities, would I say this if they were in the room? That changes everything. A a town hall can never be online in this sense. The strength of town halls is people were actually in the town hall. And if somebody said something really jerky, the guy next to them could punch them in the face. So the reality is they had to say things based on the context of the room. So online, you can say whatever, and they can't get to you, or maybe they can. So I need to communicate as if they can, as if they're in the room, how would I view this? How would this occur? I thought about this. I saw a terrible movie recently and I wrote a pretty harsh tweet about it, but it was from a comedian. And I thought, you know, I think he knows this is a bad movie. And I would say this with him in the room. Like it was like a roast, (laughs) the roasting of a bad movie. And, but I, I go through that with celebrities I'll never see. I think about their humanity and how I'm communicating. The other one, truth and love is a huge one. You know, truth without love ceases being truth and love without truth, you know, ceases being love. So am I communicating truth in a way that people know I love them? And that's one of the huge ones. Do we change when strangers tell us the truth? Seldom, like if you're in the store and a stranger says something to you, like, you know, you should treat your wife better. Maybe, maybe you're grumbling in the store. Do you welcome that <laughs> advice you say? Oh yeah, thank you stranger for telling me how to treat my wife. We don't welcome it. Why would we think people would change by us arguing with strangers? Now, if you know someone loves you or cares about you or respects you, you're more willing to listen to their advice. So for me, first, I wanna build that relational equity. So the first interaction with the person is not to win the argument, but to form a relationship. You know, what happens as a pastor, people come in just, angry at pastors they've been hurt and they just throw you under the bus and they say all you pastors are in it for the money or whatever you know just whatever it is if i get defensive i lose them usually if instead i say thank you for sharing that i'm sorry you've been hurt by the church are there other things that bother you about pastoring and then you share that i care about that too i appreciate you sharing even i don't necessarily agree with your conclusions but i'm glad you shared them and i'll take these seriously and look at them i want to grow in this area when you start talking in that way You'll find people either either way de-escalate where they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just upset and I've had a bad experience. Now you have a relationship. They they humanize it. They see you as a human. And then you can have a relationship and you can talk about things. If they escalate and just get more extreme, then you're like, no, this person just is angry yeah. and I got to find a way to mute them and not allow them to keep sinning against me. So that's my heart here is everybody has to find what God has called them to. But how do I bring reconciliation to my online communication? How do I humanize the platform? And then, you know, and we just barely touch the service on this, but to look at all the ways that social media dehumanizes and causes division just by the technology. And how do I work against those things in my communication?
1: Well, I I can tell you this. I bought the audiobook yesterday and didn't get a chance to crack it open yet. And I'm going to dedicate some of my social media time to listening to your book instead, because I think you just scratched the surface on what is probably a book just chock full of tremendous advice and insight. So I'm just so thankful for you, Doug. We could probably talk about this all day, but we should probably wrap up. So please, I encourage you. I haven't read the book, but I'm saying this right now. This is one of those few times where I'm like, I haven't read this, but you have to read this. So I want to encourage you guys, get the book, get the audio book link will be in the bio. Once again, give us the long title. So everybody has the title of the subtitle. So they're ready with their pencils out right now. What is the title?
0: well now there's three times so now it's official uh-huh. uh, posting peace why social media divides us and what we can do about it and you can find that anywhere if you if you google Doug Bursch or posting peace you'll find it you can go to fairlyspiritual.org or postingpeace.org there's so many ways to avoid what I've written it's really on you if you don't pick it up because it's, so, <laughs> it's, it's it's out there
1: no thank Uh-oh. you for this
0: I, I appreciate I actually like interviews sometimes when people who haven't read the book because then I'm actually meeting real needs we're having a real conversation versus someone trying to highlight the things I've said so this has been and a, a wonderful interface.